1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from James. James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, Demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but what you cannot get, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This, again, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stand as Chris brings us the Gospel reading. Any better? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, let's start again then. So the gospel is taken from Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. Glory be to you, O Christ. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, 
and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they didn't understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another, who was greatest. He sat down and called the twelve and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not not me, but the one who sent me. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Do please be seated. I need, a, I need a bit more cable. <laughs> Tied up. Um, so, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again this morning. Um, just before I talk, shall I just uh, just open with uh, with prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're with us this morning, and we thank you that you love us and that you care so deeply for us. I pray, Father, that this morning you would open our hearts and minds to discern what it is that you're saying to each of us individually. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Bible passages this morning lead us to, hopefully, a greater understanding of wisdom and how wisdom ultimately affects the way that we act and behave. We read about good acts and bad acts. We read of two paths, good and evil, of behaviors that are praiseworthy and of of behaviors that are vile earthly and indeed demonic. So today I want to look at wisdom to appreciate the difference that godly wisdom can make in all of our lives and to encourage us to seek God and to receive his blessings and fatherly goodness. And to do that I'm going to look at what wisdom is, where it comes from and how God wants us to seek after it and to seek after him. So what is wisdom? Well, maybe I should start by saying what it isn't. It isn't intelligence. It doesn't come from having amazing qualifications and multiple degrees. It isn't knowledge, although of course knowledge is very important. Many people obtain great quantities of information. They know many, many facts but it still doesn't make them wise. Actually, wisdom isn't actually always determined by our age either. We may think that old age makes us wise, and certainly we can develop wisdom as we grow older and experience more of life, and it's definitely something that we should seek. But it's not a given, and it doesn't always happen. We often think of wisdom, I think, in the context of advice or guidance, And it can be that we can gain a great deal from talking to others and sharing problems and issues. And it's good and desirable to do that, and I would encourage us all to seek to do that. But as we shall see, the source of that advice remains critical. It also, of course, depends on our ability to understand and discern what to do with the advice or guidance that we receive. See, wisdom is actually more about discernment 
about understanding, about judging properly what is true and right. Webster Dictionary defines wisdom as knowledge and the capacity to make due use of it. It's not what we think, it's more practical than that. Someone has good knowledge, who has good knowledge, can be in a position to understand what they've been told and may, as a result, act wisely. But again, they may or may not do that. Whether they act wisely or not actually depends on their wisdom in responding to the knowledge or advice. It's said that knowledge is knowing what to say and wisdom is knowing when to say it. And I guess we need both of those, don't we? Looking after a baby or a toddler, for instance, you may have read loads of books about it. You may know how to take care of them in a, one sense. You may have looked at DVDs or videos, even gone to, to lessons and classes. But when you actually look after one of them, boy, do you need wisdom. Wisdom to know what to do and when to do, when to do it in a whole range of different situations. And actually, in my experience, you also need quite a lot of energy. One example that is often quoted uh, of the difference between knowledge and wisdom is that through knowledge, we know that a tomato is a fruit. But it takes wisdom not to put it into the fruit salad. (laughs) And as we shall see, it depends firstly on the source of that information, secondly on our understanding of the information, and then thirdly, our ability and willingness to act upon it appropriately. And we don't always do what we know to be right, do we? The Bible teaches that wisdom is directly linked with understanding, and this ultimately directs our behavior. The way we act is directly linked to the wisdom that we have. In Proverbs, it talks about the fact that it's better to get wisdom than gold, better to get understanding than silver. And today, we see wisdom in action. So where does it come from? Well, Today's passages make it very clear that there are basically two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom from the world or wisdom that comes from God. And we have choices as to where to go for our wisdom. Will it be from God or from the world? We can choose to look to those around us that are in the world. Or we can seek God. We can seek the Holy Spirit. We can seek his followers who have wisdom themselves. The psalm set for today, Psalm 1, identifies these two paths, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. The psalm tells us that that those that don't follow the advice of the world will be happy, will be blessed, and instead will delight in the law of the Lord. And as a result of following God's ways, they'll be like trees planted by water and will prosper in all they do. Sounds good, doesn't it? And it's contrasted with the wicked who are like chaff, blown away by the wind. And James also highlights these two sources of wisdom. Wisdom from God and wisdom from the world. So let's have a closer look at that James passage. And perhaps we could just pop that up on the the screen, could we? James starts, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, in humility that comes from wisdom. You see, James is saying that everyone should be able to see what motivates us by the way that we act and live. 
He goes on, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. James is calling out our motives and saying that they may well not be right and that we shouldn't try and justify our position by lying or boasting. Because he says wisdom, sorry, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wow, he's pretty clear, isn't he, where those thoughts can come from. And if that is us on occasions or always, then we need to stop what we're doing or we're going to be in trouble. Because he goes on and says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, as we saw with the disciples in the gospel passage, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And regrettably, we see rather a lot of that around us these days, don't we? And these are not of God. It's not the way he wants us to live or behave. Now before I go on to highlight the distinction with wisdom that comes from God compared to that of the world, let me just read that from another version. The message version puts it like this. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition is not wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. In fact, it's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. I think that's a pretty powerful way of putting it. They're so far away from wisdom, so far away from God's wisdom that lives are harmed and people ignored and hurt. And we know that, don't we? We see it in homes, in our offices, our schools, our national and international relationships. And yes, maybe we even see it in our own lives too. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be like that. There's a better way, a way demonstrated by Jesus and available to us from God. James goes on to tell us just how different God's wisdom is and how it is characterized. And he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And of course it's like that, isn't it? It's like our beloved Lord Jesus. It's based on the fruit of the Spirit that God gives to all who acknowledge that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. And as we shall see shortly, it's available to all God's children. You just have to ask and believe and submit yourself to God. Again, I think the message version is is helpful here. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. James goes on in the following few verses at the the beginning of chapter 4 to ask a question. And then he provides some answers as to why we, the why behind our behaviours. 
And perhaps I should just say here, we all make bad choices sometimes. The disciples did on many occasions, and I know just how frustrating that can be. But don't get dispirited by that. Take them to Jesus. He can help and wants to help if we truly want to see change in our lives. So James goes on, what causes fights and quarrels among you, he says? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Oh dear. That's James's explanation and analysis guided by God as to what's wrong with the world, really, and also perhaps to varying degrees ourselves. We desire things that we don't have. We covet and then we fight as a result. If we don't get what we want, typically the world's reaction is, what must I do to get what I want? And sometimes we react, we react quite forcefully in order to secure what we want or believe we have a right to receive. Not exactly showing humility or being pure and peace-loving, is it? Interestingly, he goes on to suggest that we don't have these things because we don't ask God for them or we've done it in the wrong way. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And that raises a number of points. If we want something, how are we going to go about getting it? James raises the question in relation to the fact that we don't seek God for answers. It seems to me that this is either because it never occurs to us to go to God, or because we know that there's no point in asking God because we know we won't get what we want. This is the sense of the message translation. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know that you would be asking for what you have no right to. And then he says this, you're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Ouch. So let me ask, if we want something, if I want something, if you want something, what do we do? Do we ask God if that's what he wants for us? Or even do we say, Lord, I'd love that, or it would be great to do that, and see how he responds. And then can we wait rather than rushing in and trying to find our own solution, which we seem very good at a lot of the time. I've been reading some of Brother Lawrence's letters and conversations in the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, recently. And whilst, if I'm honest, I can't imagine myself ever getting to the place where he gets to, where every aspect of his life is devoted to pleasing God, every small detail held up to God to ensure that it will give him pleasure before he undertakes it. Even the most trivial task or desire that he has. But having said that, it does challenge me. It challenges me to bring more things before our Heavenly Father, before I rush off and do them. To find out what his desire is for me. To find out what he would like me to do. Should I do this? Should I go there? What do you want me to do with my time? And believe me, I have a long way to go in that regard. But it is... It is definitely a challenge to take more things to God. And why wouldn't we bring our desires to God? As parents, especially when we're 
uh, our children are young, they come to us and ask us for an enormous range of things, it seems to me. And we have to find a path through that, don't we? We want to give good things to our children. We want them to grow and develop in a healthy and positive way. Some things are, of course, beyond us, aren't they? Which isn't the case for God. But other things that we could give, we discern what is best for our children. And they don't get everything. Sometimes we say, why? Sometimes, actually, we just kind of don't respond. But we give them what we perceive to be good for them. In Matthew 7, it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. And we know, don't we, that we won't get everything, and there's good reasons for that, all sorts of reasons. But he does say he'll give us good things, and he does. And he makes it clear that that includes the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me take a slight detour here for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, I went to the evening service for the first time in a while, it was good, actually. I, I really enjoyed it. And I was good just to be able to open up my heart to God and to let out some of the things that were going on inside me. And I could do that through praise and worship, but also through just speaking out, just talking to God and praying to God about some of the things. And it felt good. I felt actually really uplifted by it. But surprisingly, for me, a single line in a new song made me think. And perhaps this had the biggest impact on me of the evening. It was a a little thing, but in its own way profound, for me anyway. And I share it because it might resonate with some of you too. Although some of you may think I'm bonkers or something, but anyway. Um, And actually, it's funny, because we've sung that that song this morning as well. I heard it for the first time two weeks ago. Here again by Elevation Worship. And the line that stood out for me, which you'll have remembered, is... I'm not enough unless you come. It's a good line, I think, but it's not particularly memorable or remarkable. This is a song about our need for God to come. And it talks about dry bones being reawakened, if you remember. The Holy Spirit coming down and about his presence. So in that context, there is truth in those words for each of us. Because we're not enough on our own, are we? And we know that. We know that, don't we? But actually, as I was singing it, I saw it differently. I saw it as God saying to me, I'm not enough unless you come. It was a personal call to him, a personal call to experience him. And that actually, I think that's the call for all of us. God may be amazing, omnipresent, he's everywhere. All-powerful. There's nothing that God cannot do. He may be all-loving, all-giving, full of wisdom, and un- but unless we come to him, we'll never experience this. Just as knowledge is not enough by itself to enable us to live right, knowledge of God is not enough. We need to experience him. We need to allow him to come close. We need to draw close to him We can look and admire, but it's not until we touch and feel and enter his presence that we get to know who he truly is. Now this is true, I believe, for all of us. For those of us, for those who have never accepted Christ, 
You maybe look, but you don't enter into that relationship with him. Or maybe, a bit like me, you know him, but you know you need more of him. You know that there has to be more. That the lack we have, we don't need. That we need help. We need more help. We need more wisdom to act in a way that is pleasing to him and is uplifting to those around us. God knows that. God's desire is to give good gifts to his children. To fill us daily with the Holy Spirit that produces fruit that means our lives are transformed into something beautiful. Something that is fruitful, winsome, and different from the world. Jesus calls us to come. Come unto me, all you who are, heavy la- uh, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. So if we don't yet know God, then he calls you today to come. To come to experience him. And if we do know him, He calls us today to go deeper with him, not to ignore him, not to fall away, not to spend our time doing other things, allowing ourselves to grow cold and hard. Anyway, back to the passage. The heading in the closing section of James is interesting, I think, because in various different translations, they call it different things. In the NRSV, it is friendship with the world. In the NIV that we read today, it says, submit yourself to God. And in the message version, get serious. And you know, I think maybe they're all right. I'm not an expert, but between them, these seem to be telling us what we need to do about it. Firstly, when our actions are negative, as James described, and we're too close. We're too close to the world. We're not following what we should be. We're following too much the devices and desires of the world around us. That's not God's wisdom. Not God's desire for us. And secondly, it tells us to submit ourselves to God. We can't do it on our own. We need his divine intervention. He is enough. But only if we come to him. Only if we reach out to him and seek him. Seek his help. Because it is available. It's not locked away or hidden from us. He wants to share it with us. But we also need to do what the message version says. And get serious. This is not a trivial matter. Behaviours are not trivial. How we live and approach our lives and behave are not trivial. They're not optional extras. If we want to be wise and as a result live a life that's pleasing to God that's good for us, that's good for our families, good for our neighbours actually. We need to embrace the wisdom that comes from God. The Bible teaches that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Not in the sense of running scared because of what he might do to us, but rather in the sense of honouring who he is, what he has given to us, and what he desires from our lives. You see, we should recognise that when we've made a commitment to him, he has a call on our lives And the way we live needs to respond to that and demonstrate it. At the beginning of the book in James, it talks about those that lack wisdom. And it says that that it's the case for any of us. It talks about those that lack wisdom and says that if that is the case for any of us. And personally, I think we could all do with more godly wisdom. And I know I certainly could. And that's why I often ask God for this gift. 
both specifically in particular circumstances, but also generally to underpin my life. Genuinely, I have, because I believe that I need it. Then we can ask God who gives generously, it says, and we'll get it. Remember that sentence we read recently? You don't have because you don't ask? Well, we can put that right. We can put that right right now. We can ask for whatever we need from our Father. Maybe it is wisdom, because we know that we're not living right, not living as we should, or perhaps that we're following too much the ways of the world. And we want to stop. We want to change that. We want to be more like Jesus. Or maybe we want to know the one who is more than enough, even better. Or for the Holy Spirit, or for healing. Or for a reset in our relationship with him. Whatever it is, we can believe in him now. God is enough. Whatever you need. If you have relationship issues, if you have challenges in your marriage, if you're facing sickness or cancer or depression, or facing hardship, redundancy or isolation, whatever it is, God cares for you. He knows what you're going through. He loves you. And he is enough to help us to deal with it. So just as we come to close, let's ask him, each in our hearts, for the goodness of God to be revealed afresh to us. Let's take a moment, and then I'll close in prayer. Let's just close our eyes and just give those things over to God. Maybe it's something that we're worried about. Maybe it's because our behaviors aren't as we want them to be all the time. Maybe because we know we have a deep desire for more of God. Maybe you desire him to talk to you more. Maybe you desire to be able to follow through on the things he said. Maybe you're worried or scared about the things that you're facing. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that this morning that you are more than enough. And Father, we call out to you, we cry out to you and we we ask, Lord, that we can draw close to you. We want more of you and we ask you to take the burdens that we face and deal with them. Father, as we go into this next week, pray that you'd be with us, you'd strengthen us. Father, we pray for your healing touch, for your wisdom, for your goodness to be released. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.